Hey everyone, welcome to the Threadcast. It's Ryan Smith, pastor of Common Thread Church. Hope that you're having a good start to your week. Um, this is the last week in July for us here. I don't know when you're listening to this, but we are in the midst of summer. Our boys are on a special trip with their grandparents, my mom and dad. They take them for a week, and my brother's boys, and they have cousins camp, and today they had breakfast delivered to them by some elephants. Uh, They're at a place for retired circus elephants, so I thought that was kind of fun. Um, Hope your day's starting off as exciting as that. Um, Mine's not, uh, (laughs) but uh, that's that's where they're at. So we are in the midst of a series, in the summer series we're calling Campfire Stories. We're walking through Hebrews 11. If you haven't read Hebrews 11 yet, um, make sure that you stop and do that. Um, we're looking at all the different stories that are in there, and sometimes we call this the heroes of faith, uh, a chapter that inspires us to look at what it means to to see people who live out faith. Um, but what's kind of interesting, as um, we call them heroes, and sometimes when you have heroes, you put them up on a pedestal. But as you dive deeper into their stories, um, you see you see that um, that they aren't as special as you thought they were. Um, you, you, they're not as um, supernatural, I guess. Uh, they're, they're human, right? And, and I, I love that about Hebrews 11, is these heroes of faith are people who messed up more than I could ever imagine messing up, or at least I think, you know, right? And it's easy for me to judge them. Um, but that's what's exciting about this. We see the people who are, who are human being lifted up as people that we look towards and I hope that's opening your eyes into how you can live out your faith. This week we are in um, Hebrews eleven twenty, and we're talking about the story of Isaac. Now, um, Isaac, his greatest accomplishments uh, seems to be simply being Abraham's son. Now, beyond that, Isaac appears kind of unimpressive. Um, he's different from his father. Um, with accomplishments that are meager by comparison to what Abraham accomplishes, right? Um, Isaac is more passive. He's gentler. He experiences none of the challenges um, that Abraham really goes through. Um, so if Abraham is the pioneer, Isaac is a settler. If Abraham is the entrepreneur, Isaac is, is the executive. If Abraham is the initiator, Isaac is the maintainer. If in Isaac we see a man with a sense of security, peacefulness, um, and then when he makes decisions, his record, like all ours, is spotted. Um, now, I don't say all those things about Isaac necessarily because they're bad things. Um, but it's just when you compare him to his father, he doesn't necessarily stand out. As a matter of fact, if you look in Hebrews eleven twenty, where it's mentioned, it just simply says, by faith, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. So even in this patriarchal blessing, which earns him notice in this Hebrews 11 passage, um, it's kind of a mixed compliment, actually. Isaac's faith is not necessarily super, you know, it's it, not necessarily superficial. Um, we know from the biblical record that it actually is genuine, but Isaac expresses it differently. And once again, we're reminded that Isaac, the heir of Abraham, of this divine promise, is an unlikely hero here. Um, he's, he's someone that is in here, we wouldn't necessarily lift him up as someone exciting, but uh, he's there. And so um, his 
his biography, if you will, his highlights is not difficult to recap um, the major events of his life. We're going to go through them really quick. Um, you can find them in Genesis 21 through 26. But Isaac is God's miracle boy. Um, his birth is supernaturally predicated on several occasions, or predicted um, on several occasions. His extraordinary beginning highlights God's supernatural inter- intervention in the relationship of Abraham and Sarah. The story of Isaac's sacrifice, which you find in Genesis 22, focuses less on Isaac uh, than on Abraham's faith. And although Isaac's submission to his father can't be missed, uh, when Sarah passes away, Isaac mourns his mother's death until he marries Rebekah some four years later. Isaac's union with Rebekah is an arranged marriage. Abraham sends his trusted servant, um, likely Eliezer, who is unnamed in this chapter that talks about it, back to the city of Nahar to find a wife for Isaac after meeting Rebecca and her brother Laban at a divinely appointed rendezvous. Eleazar persuades Rebecca to travel to distant Canaan with a stranger to marry a man she's never met. Nevertheless, from what we can tell, theirs is a solid marriage. Isaac is the only one of the three patriarchs that marries only once. And Rebecca, though possessing a questionable value system, seems to be a woman of faith. Um and aware of God's covenant promise. 20 years later, at 60 years of age, Isaac fathers his twin sons, Esau and Jacob. You find that in Genesis 25. While Isaac seems to be a peaceful man, his boys are anything but um, even fighting in their mother's womb. And as a patriarch, Isaac leaves his entire life in the land of Canaan, or lives his entire life in the land of Canaan, uh, making crucial and moral decisions that often parallel his father's choice. We'll kind of come back to that here in a second. And well, and he is well past the century mark, um, likely anticipating his death um, coming soon. Isaac decides to bestow his patriarchal blessing on his twin sons. We find this in Genesis 27. And finally, Isaac passes away at the age of 180, living the final years of his life where Abraham lived. Now, what's kind of interesting, um, and we're not going to dive deeply into this, but there are six, um, There's you can kind of make six out of them, but six events that parallels Abraham's life. If you look at uh, Isaac's life and the things that he did, um, there's about six of these events that correspond to six events in Abraham's life, and we get a kind of a contrast in how they each handle these. And I think that, that there's intentionality in the writing of this story. And so I want to encourage you to kind of go back and maybe look these over. But um, there are some important principles to draw from these each events um, kind of that we learn from Isaac. Uh, the first, from the famine, that we trust God in the face of adversity even when our instinct is to flee. Um, when God says, stay in the land, do it. <laughs> Um, second, from the wife crisis, um, protect those under your care even when your instinct is for self-protection, right? Um, we like to say that we protect our, 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 our wives or our, our husbands, um, but in these stories we kind of see self-protection coming out. Um, do not put someone you love in moral jeopardy. That's a tough one. Uh, third, from Isaac's growing prosperity, handle wealth wisely and graciously because it comes from the generous hand of God. Fourth, from the, the water rights feud, diffuse hostilities when your natural instinct may be to ignite them. Uh, and then also follow Paul's advice. 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You find that in Romans twelve eighteen, right? This idea of, of not being a combative person. And fifth, from God's covenant and Abimelech's agreement, trust the promises of God more than the promises of men. So that is a quick kind of overview of some lessons we learned from Isaac's life. But again, back to um, Isaac's epitaph, right? This Hebrews eleven twenty. Um, it's just succinctly stated by faith, which the writer of Hebrew tells us Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, this refers to Isaac's patriarchal blessing of his twin sons that you find in Genesis twenty-seven. As a description of Isaac's faith, it carries kind of a mixed message here. On one hand, this is not the patriarchs. It's not Isaac's best hour. It's not his finest hour. When Isaac decides to bestow his blessing on Esau rather than Jacob, his decision is based on earthly, unspiritual reasons. (laughs) He knows Esau disdains his birthright, having sold it to Jacob for a bowl of lentils. Um, Esau and his Canaanite wives and in-laws have brought bitter hardship to the family. And now, with the opportunity to speak a blessing of eternal significance, Isaac chooses Esau because he makes a better venison stew. Right? Um, So again, not the most um, spiritual reason to give such a spiritual blessing. Um, But what I do want you to see is that this blessing um, still carries an amazing promise full of future hope. I want you to see this in Genesis 27, 27 through 29. We get this. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness. Richness. An abundance of grain and new wine. May the nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So it's a promise of provision for Jacob and his offspring. You have plenty of grain and wine. It's also a a promise of preeminence. All peoples will serve you. Uh, all nations will bow down to you and your brother will serve you. And it's a promise of protection. Those that bless you will be blessed. Those that curse you will be, class, be, be cursed. The lesson of faith for us is this. The life of faith hopes beyond the grave. The life of faith hopes beyond the grave. It's the, it's the anticipation that God's blessings are not limited to this life. Great things will happen in the world to come. And so Isaac's blessing of Jacob shows that he, like Abraham, believes in El Holom, the God of eternity. That he, that, that, that God, who will fulfill his promises well into the future and long after we are gone. And that's the point of Hebrews' epitaph, you know, that, that Hebrews eleven twenty, is this idea that when we trust the God of Isaac, we possess that same hope. And so, we get the story of Isaac. Um, we get the story um, of heritage, right? And Isaac is kind of the peanut butter uh, of the peanut butter of the heritage sandwich, if you will. You know, because we have 
So you have you have Abraham, and you have um, you have Isaac, um, um, and, and this idea that you have Abraham, and then you have Isaac, and then you have Jacob, and you have Esau, and so you have these these three sets of generations, right? And this is where we talk about um, heritage. We talk about the idea that that, that is what um, Isaac is is um, is lifted up for his his heritage really that he's passing on a blessing, um, and so I want to spend a little bit of time the rest of our time talking about heritage, the idea of what it means. This idea, you know, we talk about it, something that's passed on, um, but there's something interesting, exciting about um, this story of, of Isaac uh, with Abraham and Jacob and Esau. And so, with heritage, there's there's a couple three concepts I want us to think about. Um, one, receiving, two, giving, and three, hope. Now, receiving. For heritage to exist, there's a, there's a reception that needs to happen. It's something that you receive. Um, and this is can be done through familial lines, right? Through blood. That's something I receive from my father, from my mother, from my aunt, my uncle, for some of us, from our grandparents. But there is also this idea of heritage that extends beyond blood, right? Um, and so I don't want you to get caught up in this blood thing because a lot of us have had families that haven't had um, spiritual backgrounds, right? But our heritage, there's still this concept that exists that what we have, what we believe, that our faith came from somewhere. Uh, I would, I would, I would venture out to say that no one, I want, and I'm going to say no one. Uh, I'd love to be proven wrong, but I. No one has a faith that exists just on their own. That someone in your life gave you the faith that you have or that you wrestle with now. And so there's idea that you receive it. But also, um, there's this concept, once you receive faith, that it has to become your own, right? And this is with a, a father and son or, or mother and daughter or parent and child. This idea that, that you see people um, that you live up to that's passing on your right, you, you receive their faith. But there's this there's this maturation that comes where their faith has to become your own, that you can't just live on what um, people around you believe. But there's this idea that you wrestle with, that you dive into th- this concept of it becoming your own. Now, another concept in receiving faith is the idea of hindsight is twenty twenty. Right, and some, so sometimes when we look at our heritage and what was passed on to us, we see it negatively. Right, we see it with ways and how um, where their holes were. We see the weaknesses of the faith that was passed on to us, and sometimes um, we see it with arrogance. Um, and, and and again, that concept of hindsight is twenty twenty is something I want to throw out to you. But the other concept I want to throw out to you as well is the idea of progression, the idea of maturation. The idea that, that young grows into old, that, that if it is anything is becoming stronger, that it is um, processing through stages of life, stages of believing, stages of understanding, right? There's always this progression that is happening. And so we can see that in a baby and how a baby progresses into a child and a child into a teen and teen into an adult. Um, we can grasp that concept. The other thing I want to throw out to you is that if an individual... Um, can can mature, then I would suggest that also humanity can mature, right? That our concepts 
of understanding um, major events or major thoughts changes with humanity. That humanity in its um, existence with the Holy Spirit, we know more than generations before us. That there's a maturation happening in humanity um, that allows us to see how our generations before us maybe handled certain situations. And sometimes we see, oh man, how stupid they were or how, um, how racist or how whatever it might be, how sexist, how um, insensitive they were, right? Words that we throw out. And that could be true with what we understand now, but the things that we have to also see, a lot of times in Scripture, we'll see how, man, Scripture doesn't seem to handle... God, you, you're not doing things you know, the way we should be doing things back then, but if you compare it to the actual humanity during that time, what we might see is that God was way, of his, way ahead of His time then, and that there's a growth process happening throughout humanity and how we exist and how we believe. I don't know if that makes sense to you. But I would suggest that when we look back at the generations that have blessed us with faith, that we do it with grace. Because as we said, hindsight is twenty twenty, and we can see the holes of where they um, maybe misstepped. But does that mean what they passed on to us was wrong? Or maybe is it just a building block to who we're becoming? And here's the other thing is that who we're becoming, um, and when we pass it on to other people, um, and they look back at us, where will they see our holes, right? And so there is this concept in heritage that we honor what we receive. We honor what is given to us. Instead of always looking for the negative, that we honor that we have been blessed with the gift of, of faith, that we've been honored with the blessed honored and we've been blessed with the gift of knowledge of seeing something that other generations may not have seen and we can honor that with words but more importantly we can honor it by building on it right by not just accepting it but allowing it to become our own and us taking it and making it something great and so that's receiving there's some thoughts on receiving now thoughts on giving the idea that, that, that we have received a heritage, that we've received a faith, but, but to, to just receive it and keep it is selfish, right? And so it's this idea that I must, in heritage, I must also take on the role of giving. And so the first thing in giving it has to become intentional. It's not something that's done accidentally. It's something that I'm going to choose to find people in my life to pass on things that I think is important, things that I think are, are right, things that I believe God wants me to hold dear to, that I intentionally find those to pass on. And I also want to stop here and say that this doesn't have to be uh, biological, right? That we pass things on to our kids, we pass things on to family, but but also there's this idea that I pass things on to people around me, right? That it's not just something that has to be biological. Um, so I don't want you to fall into that trap. And... Um, and this is another word that might be used here that some of you might cringe a little bit, but it's, it's the concept of discipleship, right? Discipleship is not a bad word. It's just simply um, helping someone grow into more of what they are meant to be. Um, and so that's that's another another side note here. But there is this intentionality that I'm going to pass on uh, my faith, my beliefs, my thoughts to other people as well. Now, here's the other gracious side of giving. Sometimes we don't feel like that we're worthy to give someone 
thoughts. We're not worthy to give them a, a faith that, that what we do, uh, you know, we look at our past and man, look how many times they've screwed that up, right? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to screw up my kids. I don't want to pass on something that's silly. And so sometimes that hinders us, that blocks us from, from even being intentional and passing on faith. And I simply want to point you back to the story of Isaac. <laughs> Isaac certainly didn't pass on his blessing in the most uh, spiritual of ways. But yet he's still in the Hall of Fame for passing on his faith. So I think it's one of those things that God doesn't expect us to do it, to have all the right words, to have the right epic moments, to do all the great things, and it becomes this great mountaintop experience and all, for all the people involved. No, it's not bound by what we do. It's bound by who God is. And so God can take our imperfect um, heritage passing on, passing on our heritage of faith giving, uh, the intentionality of us, being intentional with people and sharing with them um, what we believe, he can take those moments and grow them into something greater. Um, so it's, we are not bound um, to have perfection in the passing on, but we simply are called to do it, um, that, we, um, that we give what we have been given, right? Um, we understand that with finances, um, but there is, there is something there uh, that we're called to do. And the last concept I want you to think about in the, in the passing on of heritage, the passing on of faith, is that when we do so, we're not giving knowledge. We're not giving um, rules. We're not giving a, a guidebook. We're passing on hope. We're passing on that there's something greater than the now. There's something greater than my ancestors' experience. There's something greater than I'm experiencing. And there's probably something greater than my, my, my children are going to experience. But I am passing on not the gift of knowledge because knowledge is always growing and changing, right? It's that maturation, pro, pro, um, maturation uh, progression kind of concept that we talked about earlier. And so I'm not passing that on. I'm passing on the concept of hope. The hope that there that God is has got something greater out there, and that we are growing into something greater than we'll ever ever see is is beyond what I can see. It's beyond what my my parents saw. It's beyond what my grandparents saw. It's beyond what I can see. And it's beyond even what I'm passing on to my children. It's beyond what they could even see. That there is this concept of hope growing into something that that God has something coming. You know, I just rewatched. The Matrix, the Matrix trilogy, and that was the whole concept, you know, with with the the character of Neo, is that he could see something that the people around him couldn't see. And then he even talks about, um, you know, the Oracle is talking to him, and it's, it's beyond she can only see to a certain extent. And so there's something even beyond what she could see, right? Um, and that concept of hope is what is being passed on to to people around us um, that we. Um, that we are passing on, that God is growing us into something greater than we could ever imagine. And if it's something you can't imagine, then why is it not? Why is that something you want? If you can imagine it, why do you want to pass that on, right? Um, because if you can imagine, it's going to eventually rust or go out of style, or people are going to find the holes in it because it's something that humans can put their heads around. And so, heritage of faith is passing on a hope in something greater than we can ever imagine. And that's tough. And I, and I know that that sounds kind of cheesy in some ways, but I, I want you to, to hear that and to think through that because that is what 
um, Isaac does is he passes on hope even when he does it wrongly, even when he does it in, in a silly way. He's still part of um, the campfire stories that that began that is all throughout Hebrews eleven that there is a continuation of the story that they all participate in. And so, um, we began this series with this with talking about creation and asking our question. The question is: Is your view of God large enough? Then with Abel, we said, is my faith in God strong enough? Then with Enoch, we said, is my faith in God steady enough? Uh, with Noah, we said, is your faith in God distinct enough? And then with Abraham, we said, is your faith uh, ready for a journey? And in Sarah, we asked the question, is your faith ready to trust a promise from God? And with Isaac, I have two questions for you today. Is The first question to wrestle with is, where did your faith come from? This idea of just recognizing, honoring that, that what I believe now is not just for me, that I'm not the most original person in the world, right? There's nothing new under the sun that I acknowledge that my faith has been handed down to me from somewhere, from someone. Um, and where is that? And how do I honor that? And then the second question is, where is it going? Where is my faith going to be passed on to? How am I going to continue uh, the line? How am I not, not going to... Am, going to break the chain, but how am I going to continue to pass on that maturation of faith into that hope of something greater than I could ever see or ever experience? So there it is. Um, there's some thoughts for us to think through, uh, wrestle with, um, talk about how faith and heritage go together. I'd love to hear some of your thoughts as well. Hope you have a great, great day, um, and may your life, may your day, may your moments be filled with experiences and influences from the past and may they be filled with experiences and hope for the future grace and peace